and welcome back to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast, episode 21. And it's my pleasure to welcome in our guest for this episode, Lance Glenn, national podcast producer for 24-7 Sports, and my old colleague at On the Banks was our host for that podcast for many years. Lance, great to see you, and thanks so much for being here. Yeah, Aaron, no, thanks for thanks for inviting me. Thanks for uh, having me on. Happy to hop on the Scarlet Faithful with you. So here we are, Rutgers 3-0 and for a second consecutive year, first time they've done that in 15 years. Going into the season, if where we're at right now, what would you have said uh, in August in terms of where Rutgers is at? And I guess what are you, um, you know, most optimistic about and most concerned about moving forward? Yeah, I mean, look, if you told me um, like a week before the Boston College game that Rutgers was going to be 3-0, and uh, I would have taking that every day of the week and and twice on Sunday, you know, the fact that this team having to go on the road against the Boston college team uh, with at that time, obviously two new quarterbacks or two quarterbacks that hadn't really played a lot uh, with obviously Noah Vedral's injury. uh, And you told me they were going to win by one point, regardless of how many points they were going to win by, I was going to take it no matter what Uh, the Wagner game. We all knew what was going to happen there. That was no surprise. The temple game. Sure. Maybe a little uh, closer than we, we would have hoped for, but you know, they came out with a win and it was, uh, I was at the game. It was a, you know, a good atmosphere. Temple is their homecoming. I'm sure they were pretty juiced. I'm sure a lot of Temple players have chips on their shoulders because uh, I'm sure a lot of them think they should be recruited by Rutgers. And I'm sure Rutgers hasn't recruited a lot of them. Uh, so there uh, were definitely um, some factors not going in Rutgers direction in that game, but they ended up coming out with a victory. So if you told me they were going to be three and O I would have taken that, you know, taken that and, and some um, now, of course, this, game on Saturday against Iowa is, is a real, I think, litmus test for the Scarlet Knights uh, because it's it's now year three of this Shiano 2.0 rebuild. Um, they've shown positives so far through the season. Uh, they've shown a lot of negatives so far through the season. And the way Iowa plays, they're two very similar teams in, in what they like to do offensively and what they like to do defensively and what they like to do special teams-wise. Uh, so really will be an interesting matchup. And one I'm excited to be at. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, and I'm excited to go as a fan, uh, not in any uh, uh, reporting or media capacity. And I'm just excited to cheer on the Scarlet Knights. And uh, with all that being said, um, you know, I think the issues that we've seen, we kind of expected, you know, with the offensive line. Um, I think, you know, defensively, they've been about as good as advertised, maybe even a little bit better. Um, but I think, you know, my biggest concern going into this game is is, is penalties 25 in the first three games. How much of that do you think is just working in new personnel? Do you think that it's, um, you know, are, are we seeing any positives in terms of that it may turn around or uh, now that competition gets even harder, you know, do you think that that's still going to be an issue that we have to worry about? Um, I think it's a little bit of, of everything. Um, I think obviously when you come in with what, essentially five new starting linemen or a starting, a starting five uh, that obviously has never played together before uh, that is going to, to cause a lot of issues that's going to bring about a lot of uh, communication errors. Um, And and I think, especially in that Boston college game where I think they had 10 total penalties, a couple false starts. I think that really uh, played a big role in the fact that they just didn't have experience, you know, next to one another, you know, JD Dorenzo doesn't have experience next to Ireland Brown doesn't have experience next to Willie Tyler or Holland Pierce doesn't have experience next to Dunlap or, or Jafoni. You know, when you, when you bring together a group of guys that are going to play with each other often, but don't have experience playing with each other previously, that's just, you know, things like that are going to happen. You'd obviously hope uh, that those things get cleaned up as the season moves on. I think they will. Um, Obviously you'd want that to happen this Saturday because 
in a game that will largely be dictated, I think, by field position. If you continue to get set back five yards for a false start, five yards for a delay a game, you know, X amount of yards for a holding. Or on the other hand, if you give Iowa, you know, five yards for an offside, 10 yards for a pass interference, uh, five yards for an illegal contact, that could really shift the momentum in one team's favors or the other. So I think the penalties need uh, to get cut down uh, in a pretty significant way heading into this Iowa game Saturday. But I don't think it's it's necessarily one thing or the other as to why they happen. I think it's kind of a, a mixture of a whole bunch of different things all culminating into the fact that Rutgers needs to play a much cleaner game uh, moving forward and especially this Saturday. So offensively, obviously, you know, Rutgers has struggled quite a bit, uh, a continuation of last year. Um, you know, the quarterback situation, uh, we know, you know, it's pretty much up in the air. Uh, who, who knows what to read into what Greg Shiano is saying in terms of, you know, I mean, Noah Vedrill has been week to week now for a month. Um, you know, whether Gavin Wims, that's really a game time decision or not, we'll see. Um, but I guess what, what is your gut telling you about who we'll see under center on Saturday? And I guess, what do you think? What do you think the approach should be from an offensive game plan? And what do you think it actually will be? So in regards to a game plan, I think they will be more creative than they have been over these first three games. Um, I think against Boston College, they uh, saw later in the game that they could run the ball at will. They did that. And that's why, especially in that last drive, we only saw one pass play compared to what it was at 10 run plays. And they obviously ended up marching down the field against Wagner. Obviously they were going to be very vanilla. No reason to open up the playbook against a team that you're uh, pretty superior to. Um, and I think the same thing with temple. Now I think the temple game kind of caught them off guard. I think they went in with a vanilla game plan and they stuck with that vanilla game plan and didn't adjust um, and become more creative even as the game uh, was getting closer and and it was getting more into crunch time. If they had become more creative against Temple, I think they would have had more opportunities to widen that score. Now, obviously, look, it didn't end up hurting them. They ended up winning the game. Whether you win by two or by 20, it, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. A win is a win. But against a team like Iowa that does have such a stout defense, I think they will be more creative. Um, and, and I think we've seen that from Sean Gleason in the past, that he has the ability um, and he has the smarts uh, to kind of go into his bag of tricks and take out a you know unique play here and there. Um, now, at quarterback, if you want my honest opinion, and I this is not coming from any source or anything, like this is just my gut, I don't think Gavin Wimsat is playing on Saturday. That's just my gut opinion. I, I don't think he's going to play. I think if he was healthy enough to play on Saturday, he would have played uh, or he would have come back into the game against Temple. Um, I saw on Twitter a picture of him, and you could clearly see, I think it was his left foot was in a boot. Now, that could just be a precautionary boot, or it could be something greater. But if you want my gut feeling, and I could very well be wrong, this is not coming from any source or anything, I don't think Gavin Wimsat will play. I'm also fairly confident that Noah Vedra won't play. So with that being said, I believe Evan Simon will be the guy throughout. Now, obviously that makes the Rutgers quarterback room very thin uh, because if Simon, if something were to happen to him, then obviously you move on to walk-ons. Not ideal, but with the way the quarterback room is kind of shaked out, uh, shaken out with injuries, it just at this point of the season is what it is. Um, but that's just a gut feeling of mine. I think you'll see Evan Simon uh, be the guy because I don't think you'll see Gavin and I don't think you'll see Noah. Now, with that said, now with that said, and this kind of goes against what I just said, you won't see Gavin, in my opinion, but I think you'll see Gavin in a uniform. And now what I mean by that is 
if hypothetically Simon were to get, I think Gavin is essentially or will essentially be in uniform as an emergency guy. Mm-hmm. If Simon were to get hurt, Simon, I think, is going to be the guy, ideally every play for Rutgers in the game on Saturday. But if he were to get hurt, I think you could have Wimsat in as an emergency quarterback just so that you don't have to go to the walk-ons. So while we might see Gavin on the field in uniform warming up and everything, my guess is if he does do that, he would be in as just an emergency kind of guy instead of a, oh, he's going to, you know, rotate series with Simon like they've been doing. That's just, you know, a, a gut feeling of mine, no sources or, or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's a great point about him uh, potentially still suiting up, wh- whether he's actually, you know, truly available or not. And and I actually said the same thing on when I had a, a the for, uh, guest on about Iowa this week. Uh, I, I feel like uh, it's going to be uh, Simon as well. Um I guess I wanted to go back to the Temple game where, uh, you know, it's very noticeable uh, that Chiano and uh, offensive coordinator Sean Gleason uh, got into a little bit of an animated discussion. Um, you know, I went back and looked at that drive. That was with about a minute to go in the second half. It actually came, uh, you know, Joe, Jude uh, McIntyre missed a 38-yarder, but the two plays before that were pass plays. And, you know, it, it, there was a lot of lip reading going on uh, on Twitter this week. You I think talk- John Boy Media did, a, yeah. did something about it or, you know, just a short twi- uh, tweet about it. Yeah, that was big time. Uh, so, <laughs> um, you know, I guess my question is my belief and, and you know, it's it's a little bit of speculation, but I think there's there's some uh, consternation among fans as, you know, Rutgers being so conservative. It felt like to me that, you know, Shiana wanted more to stick with the run, to be conservative. And, and I guess – you know, while I think that that's going to be a big part of what they do against Iowa, you know, I think we agree that, you know, they need to get their playmakers involved. The athletes that they have now, um, even compared to two years ago when they were so much more creative, it's just, I think, what do you think in terms of the fan frustration? I think that's where it comes from the most for me is you have these playmakers that, you know, whether you're taking huge throws down the field, big risks, you know, just getting these guys in open space, you know, short pass plays, bubble screens, slants. We're not even really seeing much of that. And and is that something that you think we're going to see more of? I hope so. Because um, I also feel like most fans uh, a little bit frustrated over uh, what we specifically thought. And like I said earlier, I think what happened was Greg Schiano and Sean Gleason, when developing a game plan for Temple, sort of went in with the same approach that they did against Wagner, viewing themselves as the much superior team wanting to keep it very vanilla and therefore not kind of exposing even things like short passes or intermediate routes uh, so that Iowa doesn't get that on film. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, the, the lack of offense uh, definitely showed it definitely made everyone uncomfortable watching the game. uh, And it definitely made everyone uh, frustrated watching the game. I hope that they open it up. I think they will. Like I said earlier, I, I, I anticipate Sean Gleason being more creative. I certainly hope he's going to be more creative. I mean, this is going to be a great Rutgers crowd. And if we keep seeing three and out after three and out after three and out, uh, which we might see a lot of three and outs in the game. I mean, we might see a lot of three and outs from both teams in the game because that just might be the way the game goes. But if we just see lack of movement on offense, play after play after play, that what could be a sellout crowd, I don't think it's a sellout yet, but what could be potentially a sellout crowd will not be very happy with the way uh, Sean Gleason and, and Rutgers offense is going about things. Uh, but I do think he'll open it up. I want them to open it up. Obviously, a lot of that depends on the play of the quarterbacks. A lot of that depends, especially against the, a good Iowa front, uh, the play of the offensive line and whether they can give whoever is at quarterback, whether it's Simon Wimsat or Vedral, uh, enough time to drop back and go through their reads. 
Um, but I'm also a big fan, and I want Sean Gleason to do more of quick three-step drop, get the ball out of your hands. You know, I think Temple specifically, when you look back at that game, EJ Warner obviously did not have a very strong arm. There were a couple passes, two that should have been picks. You know, the first play of the game, Robert Longerbeam should have, you know, taken that to the house. Um, but it's clear he didn't have a very strong arm, and the passes he did throw downfield uh, were, were pretty much just floating up there, and Rutgers missed a couple opportunities for picks. But what Temple was doing was knowing that Rutgers, if they had EJ Warner drop back and go through his reads, Rutgers would get there with their defensive line. Quick three-step three step drops, and he would get the ball out. He was, at times, just dinking and dunking his way down the field. And while that's not the flashy, high-flying offenses we see nowadays, it was working for Temple because they were moving the ball through the air. And I think if Rutgers uses some of that type of offense against Iowa, because Iowa's defensive line is, is very good. If, if Rutgers whether it's Simon, Vedral, Wimsat, whoever it might be, if they have them go in three or even five-step drops, but it's like one or two reads at most and just get the ball out of their hands, I think that would go a long way in helping Rutgers maintain time of possession, helping Rutgers maintain their ability to move the ball, get first downs, and get them into range where they could at worst get field goals. Because in a game like we will probably see on Saturday, just getting a field goal or getting a couple of field goals pretty much will go a long way in, in determining the final outcome. Completely agree. I think, you know, it, it short passes are certainly better than running over 80% on first down. Uh, and and it's even like a, it's like a run replacement kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like obviously a short pass is different than a, you know, sweep on the left side or a, you know, jet on the left side, whatever it might be, but it's still pretty much the same thing. You know, if you have Simon take a three-step drop and just get it out to even a running back or Victor Kanapka or whomever at tight end or, you know, a, a short out or a slant to Shameen Jones or Sean Ryan or whoever it might be pretty much the same thing where you'd come up with a similar result uh, that you would, if you were just to run the ball and it would just create more balance for the Rutgers offense, which obviously we haven't seen yet from them. Totally agree. And I think it does two things. I think with Simon, you know, he, he needs a little bit of unpredictability in the play calling because he is kind of a predictable quarterback, at least so far, we know he he actually can run, but they haven't, you know, utilized that. Um, and then, too, I think it gets, you know, I think getting the receivers involved early in the game is really key, especially Saturday, because I think getting them active only helps build momentum throughout the game for them uh, in terms of just, you know, the route running and, um, you know, execution wise. Uh, my question is what you just said. So I think, you know, special teams absolutely could be the, the ultimate decider in this game. What are your thoughts so far on uh, Makatami? You know, I've been kind of vocal that I, I, I'm I'm pretty confident in him. I know he's not perfect, but um, what are your thoughts? You, you I, I look, he, he has a leg. Like, there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. He he can if Rutgers goes out on Saturday and attempts a 50 yard field goal, he can make it. Like he has the leg uh, to probably go 50 plus because the ones where he's hit 49 or 47 or whatever they might have been 48. I don't remember the exact distance. He's had plenty on it, so I'm not worried about him. Uh, from a distance standpoint, the inconsistencies are just tough to watch sometimes. I mean, he's missed a kick in every single game this season. Uh, obviously, an extra point that could have loomed large against Boston College ultimately didn't end up hurting them because uh, the BC kicker, I think, ended up missing a field goal um, later in that game. So they kind of balanced themselves out. But he missed a kick against Wagner. Um, again, didn't hurt them. He missed a kick against Temple, which could have hurt them because – it was a 16-14 game where they ended up winning 16-14. Had he made that field goal earlier, 
it would have been 1914. Let's say Temple's last possession. They drive down the field, kick a field goal. They take the lead. Had he made that field goal, it would have been a touchdown game instead of a two-point game. Uh, or it would have been a, a greater than a field goal game instead of the two-point game. Obviously not a touchdown game yet. But um, I, I just the inconsistencies bother me. And they're so weird, right? Because he'll go out, and I think against Temple, he hit a 47-yarder or whatever it was. Against Wagner, he hit a 49-yarder or whatever it was. But then he would miss a 31-yarder. He'd miss a 33-yarder. So it's like I appreciate the fact that he has a leg that if Rutgers just gets it to the 30, let's say, he can go out there and kick a field goal. Maybe even the 35. I mean, I think his longest so far has been 49. But my guess is if Rutgers got to the 35, they'd send him out there to try to kick a 52-yard field goal. Mm -hmm. But the inconsistency is you can't miss those short ones. The 33-yarders, the 31-yarders, the 35-yarders, you cannot miss those especially in the game against Iowa, right? If Rutgers leaves points on the field against Iowa on Saturday, that's a big problem because points are going to be hard to come by in this game for both teams. And especially for Rutgers offensively, we've seen the struggles already. If they leave points on the field, they might not have that opportunity to score once again. Like points are going to become be points are going to be at a big premium on Saturday. So if Rutgers gets down to the 30 or the 25 or the 20, and they send out McIntyre and he misses a field goal, who knows the next time Rutgers is going to be able to get to the 20 or the 25 and have that chance to kick a field goal again. So he, I appreciate again that he has the leg. He can, I feel confident in him going out there and at least being able to get the distance on a 50 plus yard field goal. It's just the inconsistencies up short. I'm worried that one game it's going to, you know, come down to it. It's going to be a close one. He'll go out for a 33, a 32 yard field goal, and he's going to miss it. And it's going to end up costing Rutgers in the long run. So that's just my big worry regarding him um, and, and the inconsistency. But I guess those are college kickers, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. complaining, but like how often have we seen, you know, college kickers go out and miss cheap shots and then go out and hit 50 yarders, right? Like college kicker, there's nothing more frustrating in my mind <laughs> than a college kicker. It's just, it's, seems like every single game special teams play such a role, not just for Rutgers, but throughout college football and college kickers so often play such a vital role and also so often don't come through in the clutch. So that's just my biggest worry when it comes to Makatami. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. I, I looked at it the opposite of that. He made three or four. If they didn't, if he didn't make three or four, they wouldn't have won. But I, I, that's I, true. Hear, that's true. I hear your point. I but think- I think it was, it was the, it was the one he missed that bothered me that's that's where i'm coming from it's like that one was one he should have made right right and the, the, the longer the 47 yarder i would have right. been fine if he goes out and misses a 47 yarder okay again college kicker like it happens but the fact that he made the 47 yarder and missed whatever it was 33 34 yarder it's like come on <laughs> like, come on the consistency of it. i get it i get it it also makes me excited though because he has the potential he has the potential to be a true weapon I think in this game in particular, you know, like you said, points are going to be hard to come by. The momentum in special teams, especially with field goal kickers, is even more. Obviously, momentum is always huge, but even more so in this game, I think. Like you said, if you miss opportunities to get three points on a 35-yarder and you don't take advantage of it. Can't leave points on the field. Yep. And I think the other thing to watch for him, too, is, you know, and part of why I think maybe I'm grading him on a curve a little bit is – his story and his transition and, you know, not even being in college football until last year playing in a, you know, small D2 school in North Carolina, this will be the most intense uh, environment he'll ever kick in on Saturday. So that's something to keep in mind too. And one thing that I'm specifically looking at uh, or not worried about, but could play a big role in the game is kickoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just kickoff returns, but if 
whether it's Iowa's kicker or McAtamy or whomever is kicking off for either team, uh, a kickoff out of bounds could go a long way because this is going to be a field, uh, a game of field position. And there's a big difference or there will be a big difference in the game between starting at the 25 and starting at the 40. Mm-hmm. So if a kick goes out of bounds and you set up Iowa or Iowa sets up Rutgers with great field position just to start their drive where they only have to go, let's say, 30 yards or 40 yards to get into field goal range, that could be pretty big in the grand scheme of things. So kickoffs, I think, are also something you need to watch. Kickoff coverage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if Kru- I, you know, ideally, I was kicking to Cruxshank or even Youngblood. Youngblood has shown uh, in the return game this season too an extra burst. But whomever it is, Youngblood or Cruxshank, if if one of them could could take a kickoff or could consistently get the ball on the kickoff and, and bring it to the thirty-five, bring it to the thirty, that would go a long way because then even because even then. If Rutgers gets a three and out, let's say they only get five, six yards on the next drive and have to punt, there's a big difference between punting from the 35 compared to punting from the 20 or punting from the 15. So, again, in a game of field position, I think the kickoff and who is more successful in kickoff returns and kickoff coverage could go a very long way. Totally agree. It's a great point. And I thought it was interesting strategically because in the Wagner game, you know, Magatami was going for touchbacks. And he, he, he kicked 10 out of 11, 11 kickoffs, 10 were touchbacks. In the Boston College and um, the Temple game, he was definitely trying to pin them, you know, get the kick inside the five, yeah. have them return it, which is typical Shiano. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, if that's going to be the game plan against Iowa or they're going to, depending on, you know, who knows? I mean, depending on where the game is at, maybe they do just go with the, the touchbacks just mm-hmm. to, you know, I think also too, just, you know, the, the benefit of keeping guys fresh in that game, yeah. uh, guys on special teams, you know, that are going to have to make tackles on defense. It'll be interesting to see, uh, but I agree. I think it's a huge – I think every every aspect of special teams is going to be a major factor. And, of course, you know, if Rutgers can, you know, block a kick like they're, they're known Absolutely. for. And, I, I mean, Iowa, I think, has blocked two punts this year. I think they both came against that in that first game against South Dakota, uh, South Dakota State. But, I mean, Iowa has shown this year that they can go out and, and block a punt. And it wouldn't surprise me with, obviously, two of arguably the top three punters in college football punting in today's game. Oh, not today's game, excuse me, in Saturday's game. I don't know why I said today. Um, It's only Thursday when we're recording. But um, with two of the best punters in college football punting in Saturday's game, you wonder if, whether it's Kirk Ferentz or Greg Schiano, try to uh, make either one of them a little uneasy and bring pressure Mm -hmm. on most punts, especially a guy like Corsak, who likes to either run out to, more often than not, likes to run out to his right and kind of get a little momentum going before he punts it. Uh, It'll be interesting to see that kind of chess game of, who brings pressure on the punt, who doesn't, when they do, when they don't. It'll, it'll be really interesting, kind of the moves that both these two coaches make on special teams. I agree with you because I, I think, you know, you're not really going to return it anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, they, 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 you never really do against either punter. Taylor's been amazing uh, and even penned uh, opponents even like consistently deeper mm-hmm. than Corsak has this year. Uh, yeah, so I think you bring the house and uh, it's going to be interesting. I think, yeah, just – and I think being at night, you know, this game has a lot of Michigan 2014 vibes for me where a lot of weird stuff happened. Uh, you know, obviously the game was won with uh, Kamoko Therese block field goal at the end. Um, but I think it's going to be fascinating to see when a screwball thing happens, you know, probably on special teams, maybe defensive pick that, you know, great field position. You know, how how does how do both coaches react um, and how do they maybe deviate from their game plan in those moments? I think that coaching wise for me, that's going to be a huge key. Yeah, absolutely. And it could come down to who just plays a cleaner game, right? Someone muffs a punt. 
you know, that could go a long way in ultimately determining the outcome, especially if, you know, the game progresses and field position is such a battle and teams are punting from their own 30 or 35 time after time after time. If someone muffs a punt, the other team recovers. They start on, you know, the opponent's 20-yard line. That changes the game completely. So I think the team that best avoid those mistakes, that best avoid those kind of fluky things, will definitely have an upper hand because all it will take is one or two of those things to happen in one or the other team's favor. And that could completely shift momentum. It could take a crowd out of it, or it could completely bring a crowd back in it. And I think that could ultimately be what determines the outcome when all is said and done. And we look back at this game on Saturday. And that point exactly is why I think we're going to get two big bowls of vanilla ice cream from both sides. Not, not even vanilla bean, vanilla. At least to start. I think at least to start. (laughs) Yeah. At least to start. Well, hopefully if, you know, that's what I think we have to hope for is if there is a change of momentum like that, that that's when you take your shot and that's when you have to take advantage of it. Well, it's all about, it's all about, uh, you know, coaches preach the sudden change, right? Mm -hmm. When you, when you can get a sudden change, uh, whether that's on an interception, whether it's on a fumble recovery, whether that's on a miscue from the other team on special teams, you get a sudden change. That first play, you have the other team on the ropes. So it's mm-hmm. like, can you take advantage when the other team is on the ropes and cash in for six or, yeah. you know, get down to first and goal? That is, I think, going to play a big role. And like you said, you know, those mistakes are uh, could be crucial and we'll probably see vanilla early on. But it's when those first mistakes happen, what the coaches end up doing with them, I think, will be really interesting to follow and really interesting to see. So a couple more for you. I wanted to ask, uh, you know, I, we've already talked about this offline. There's been some chatter online about, uh, you know, the significance of this game and how, you know, a potential win would be a program changing victory for Rutgers. I know I have my opinion, but you're the guest. I'll let you go first in terms of, you know, what what this win could mean both for this season and for the program long term. Look, it'll it'll be a big win. If they if they go out on Saturday and win, regardless of what the score is, whether it's 3-2, 6-3, 7-3, 10-3, 10-7, whoever the score, whatever the score is, 13-7, uh, 13-10, 2-0, who knows, <laughs> whatever it could be, 3 nothing. Um, whatever the score is, if they go out and win the game, it's you can't understate how big of a win it would be. Uh, I, I do think for the program. Now, would I go as far as saying it's a program-changing win? I would not. I mean, I know there are going to be a lot of recruits there. Um, it's going to be a, a, a tough atmosphere for Iowa. It's going to be a, an, an amped atmosphere. I know Rutgers fans have been looking forward to it ever since that game was announced at 7 p.m. Uh, to be at 7 p.m. on Saturday night. Um, I think the path to six wins, especially after these three games, um, largely depends on this game against Iowa. I think when fans view the path to a bowl game, um, especially after starting 3-0 this season, uh, they viewed this Iowa game. They viewed the Nebraska game coming up in a couple weeks, and they viewed the Indiana game as the three most likely games to win. Now, look, if they go two and one, or let's say hypothetically one and two in those three games, sure, I guess a path is still there, right? Like, obviously, you still have to play the games, and, you know, Rutgers can upset a team, and, you know, maybe they go out and play really well at Maryland or play really well at Michigan State or whomever it may be. Uh, but the most realistic path to a bowl game includes beating Iowa on Saturday night. Um, so I think in that regard, it's a really big game. Program-changing win, I would definitely not go as far as saying that. But what it would do is, I think, show that the uh, rebuild is continuing at a steady pace, um, at the pace that that the coaching staff wants it to. 
this would be for sure the biggest win of the Shiano 2.0 era, I think, without a doubt. Uh, bigger than the Michigan State win a couple of years ago. Um, because ultimately, like, look what that Michigan State team was in, in 2020. Uh, plus, you had obviously all the quirky things with, with the COVID year and no fans and everything like that. Uh, so it definitely, I think, would be the biggest win in the Shiano era. I think it would also end, I don't remember how many games it was or how many games it is, but it will also end that, uh, that home, Big Ten, yeah, home Big Ten losing streak, which, you know, needs to end soon, uh, <laughs> ideally this season. Um, so that would go a long way in doing so. Um, but again, is it program changing? No, but for this season, um, and for the near future of the program, especially with all the recruits that will be in attendance, it will definitely leave a, a good taste in their mouth about Rutgers moving forward. And I think would leave a very good taste in fans mouth about where the program is heading moving forward. Yeah, I pretty much agree with, uh, 99.9%. Well, I agree with everything you said, uh, just to add to it quickly is just, you know, yes, it would be a signature win. You know, uh, Rutgers really hasn't had a signature win in I don't know. I mean, I guess you could argue go back to Michigan in 2014, a true signature win. I, I think you could argue maybe Shiano's win over Michigan State when he came back, you know, uh, even though that wasn't a very good Michigan State team, that was, you know, obviously significant. Um, but you get the signature win. I think you're, you're in the national buzz next week. You know, you probably get a lot. You get votes. I don't think you're, you're ranked or anything, but you get votes. You get some buzz. Uh, you know, obviously positive perception certainly helps recruiting wise, but yeah, there's a lot more work that still needs to be done, uh, for this program to turn a corner per se. And I, I totally agree with you with the path to six wins. You need Iowa. Um, it certainly, you would check a box for, you know, beating a brand name in the big 10. Uh, and I actually said going into the year, I was asked this, you know, who I thought they had the best chance to do that against. And I think it was always Iowa simply because their offense is not going to blow you off. I mean, when you lose to I a good Iowa team, fourteen to seven with Chris Ash as your coach, there's always hope, right? That there's was hope. that was unfortunately to say the end of because he got hurt obviously in the game. The yeah. end of Janarian Grant's electricity at Rutgers. Let's say, yeah. let's put it that way. I mean, Agreed. that that game because he got hurt. I I don't remember if he was out the rest of the year. I don't think he, I think he no, came he came back, back, but he was but he was never the same player. Obviously, he came back the following year. Was once again not the same player as he was. Um, yeah, that game, that game, and I remember because they lost 14-7, and on that drive that Grant got hurt on, remember it was like an 80-yard run or something like that that he got hurt. He got chased down from behind, got hurt on the 80-yard run. It was like first and goal at like the five or something like that, and yeah. they didn't end up scoring. They didn't no. end up scoring a touchdown. They didn't Because they went for on fourth down. They didn't end up scoring, and that ultimately was the difference, right, because it was a 14-7 game. They score at worst, it's 14-14. Um, yeah, that was, that was a tough one to bring. I think that was my – I think it was my sophomore year or something like that. Fresh, yeah, I think, uh, freshman or sophomore year. Uh, I think sophomore. No, 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 because it was Ash's first year, right? So it was my junior year. 16. Yeah, it, yeah, it was my junior year. It wasn't my freshman or sophomore. It was my junior year because Ash came in my junior year. Uh, yeah, that was, I think, the game that pretty much ended Janarian Grant's electricity, I would say, at Rutgers, unfortunately. Yeah, both matches with Iowa have not gone well, but this is the first of six in a row now, six years in a row that they're scheduled. Well, we'll see what, if divisions change. Yeah. But the way um, the crossover works here, signed one team for six years. The Rutgers had Illinois, and now they're on to Iowa. Can't give I, us Northwestern, huh? Can't give us no, Northwestern. <laughs> did not. Did not but, no offense uh, to Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern, but, man, I love Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> so last question for you, just in terms of, you know, uh, we've talked about some keys, but uh, ultimately, you know, you, you can give me a score prediction if you want, but you know how do you see this game playing out on Saturday night? Yeah, I've gone back and forth uh, of who I think is going to win. I think the Rutgers crowd is going to be great. I think anytime you've had a big game at Rutgers, 
um, going back to before I was a student, obviously going back to when I was a student. Um, and you know, unfortunately there obviously haven't been many big nighttime primetime games since, you know, I left, uh, there were only a couple and those were mostly my freshman year when they played Michigan and Penn state, um, and ended up beating Michigan on the Camogo Trey field goal. But since then, obviously not many primetime national TV games, uh, for, for Rutgers, uh, but anytime they have a big game, the crowd has really been there and has really been fired up and has been into it. I mean, those Michigan and Penn State crowds my freshman year were great. Obviously, the Louisville 2012, Louisville 2006 uh, games were great. Um, I, I think the crowd on Saturday is, is going to be fantastic. I, I don't know if it's a sellout yet. Um, would it shock me if Rutgers football Twitter puts out a tweet saying that it ultimately is a sellout You know, sometime before the game? That wouldn't shock me either. Now, how they get to that sellout, we'll see. But it wouldn't shock me if they do put out that it is a sellout. Um, but I think the crowd's going to be amped. I think the crowd's going to be into it. I think the first score, and I feel like we say this all the time, like obviously you want to be the team that scores first. But I think in a game that might be devoid of a lot of points, the first score is going to be huge. And whether that's a field goal or a touchdown, I don't think it matters. I think if Rutgers can go out there and get a field goal and go up 3 nothing. Again, in a game where points will be at a premium, I think will go a long way in keeping the crowd involved. I think what you worry about if you're Rutgers is if, let's say, they go down seven to three or fourteen to three or you know ten nothing at one point um, yeah. going into halftime, you worry that fans start to check out of it, and especially if they come out in the third quarter and you know continue to have trouble moving the ball, continue to you know have trouble doing anything offensively. You worry about fans ultimately checking out because you know, they kind of realize that it's just not Rutgers day. So I think getting points on the board early will be a big factor. I guess the Rutgers fan in me has to go with the Scarlet Knights. Um, I obviously want them to, and I'll be there as a fan uh, with my parents and brother and uh, no wife. She, she's not, uh, not into it at all. Uh, I took her to one game last year and she was not a, she wasn't having it too much, but whatever. Nonetheless, uh, a nice day for me to get out to the stadium. Um, no one's perfect. No. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say they win. I'm gonna say they win thirteen to ten, and mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna go on a limb. I think they win thirteen to ten. For as much as I was ripping him earlier on a <laughs> on a Jude McAtamie, I'm not sure it's gonna be a walk off field goal, but it'll be like a end of the game, maybe giving Iowa one more possession with like a minute or so left type of field goal. Very specific. I like the prediction. Um, you know, I'm 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 on the fence as well. And uh, yeah, I think it's 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 such a you know momentum is obviously huge in every game, but in a game like this, it's a chess match with um, you know the margin for error for both sides is going to be so slim. So uh, really excited about this game, Lance. Thanks so much for your time and your great insight. Always great to talk to you about Rutgers football. And, uh, you know, anything you want to plug in terms of uh, 24-7 or uh, your, your Twitter? No, I mean, look, you follow me on Twitter, Lance Glenn 247 um, Check out the College Football Daily podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The Football Recruiting podcast every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, I try my best to bring in as much Rutgers coverage to the national, to the national podcast as I can. Even as the producer, you know, I, I got to, you know, have big markets in mind, obviously. Um, but I tried to bring Rutgers in as much as I can. I try to, you know, make sure the Scarlet Knight fans get their uh, get their worth for the uh, the various podcasts that I produce. Uh, but uh, yeah, give us a listen, give us a review, and uh, you know, obviously appreciate uh, all the support. Well, a win over Iowa and a four zero Rutgers. A team. win over Iowa. I think you'll hear an episode of the College Football Daily 
or maybe it's not a one of our typical episodes, but maybe a bonus episode about Rutgers. I will make sure that Rutgers gets mentioned on one of, if not both, of the podcasts next week if Rutgers ends up beating Iowa. I will tell you <laughs> that. That's a guarantee. All right. Well, we're holding you to it. And uh, thanks so much for your time. And thanks to everybody for listening and watching once again here on the Scarlet Faithful podcast.